Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, if you have a Bible and uh, you weren't here last week, turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Last week we covered the first four verses. And the main theme of those verses was the fact that we have eyewitnesses to what Jesus has done here on the earth. He speaks about the things which we have heard, the things which we have seen, the things that we have handled with our hands concerning the word of life, this Jesus Christ. And you and I, in a very real sense, although somewhat remote, are eyewitnesses. Because we have been brought to this place because of a unique relationship with the living God. Now the world stands on, stands around and looks at us and says, what are you guys doing? You're praying to a God that you can't even see. You're speaking to someone who really audibly you can't hear speak back. But something that they don't understand, what John understood and the early disciples understood and we understand, is that there is a real, tangible presence of the living God with us here tonight. And so as we go forward this evening, you've got to remember that His presence is here with us and that is what we celebrate. So we heard of John's story, his testimony. He's an eyewitness. And then at the end of those four verses, we read that these things we write to you, the early disciples, that your joy may be full. In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. And without him, there is great absence of joy. There is fullness of joy, not because... Everything is perfect in the world. Or that every wish that you ever wanted has now come true now that you've met Jesus Christ. And so now you have joy. It's not based on those conditions. It is based upon the very nature of who He is. And the realization that the creature, namely you and me, have learned to come to His feet, recognize His presence, and in that there is a completion, a fullness, a maturity in the life of the believer that now I have a sense of completeness in my life because now I know my Creator, now I know my Lord, and there is fullness or maturity or completion in that joy. Well, tonight... We're going to cover a few verses. We're going to start in verse 5, and we'll move on, hopefully, all the way to chapter 2, verse 2. I've entitled tonight's message, Light Versus Darkness. Now, Albuquerque is known for a lot of great things. We have the beautiful Rio Grande. We have the beautiful Sandias high and, and uh, pink during the sunsets. We have the best weather that anyone can imagine. But we also have something not so savory. And I'll just go ahead and say it. Cockroaches. Or cockroaches. I don't know how you want to say it. Well, when I was living in Taos, we really, I don't know if it was the elevation or what it was, but I never really saw that many cockroaches until I moved to Albuquerque. 
And so pretty soon you learn to make the phone call to the bug man. He shows up in his little car with a squash bug with a big foot on the top of it. And he comes on into the house and makes the little... Because what happens is you walk in the middle of the night to go get a snack at the fridge. And, well, at least I do. I don't... I mean, I'm all about being honest here. I have nothing to hide. So you feel free to be honest all the way through this as well. Now, you turn on the lights and you see the scurrying into the darkness. What is that? (laughs) Cockroaches. And my kids in the beginning were terrified of them. And so I tried to make things better by stomping one, thinking that they would understand the power of the human foot, the human mind, and our predatory nature, and the ability to bring everything under subjection to the foot. But when they saw the first one squash and sort of splatter everywhere, they screamed and ran off. So, more counseling. But um, what you find out is that there is a difference between light and darkness. In fact, many times they're juxtaposed. One is in opposition to the other. There's always a variation of the two. There's different hues. But there's always some type of juxtaposition and fight and struggle between the two. Look with me at verse 5. We see the message of light. This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you. That God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. You know, every movement has a message. And this message that we have in this book is the message that light is illuminating a lost and hurting world, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Period. This is the message, that God is light. And that assumes, or presumes, that the world as it stands, lost in sin, separated from God, is covered in a sense spiritually in great darkness. And I would agree with that. The world comes up with many religions and it tries very hard to adjust to the darkness. And we have many false lights that appear on the horizon and throughout our land. But the truth of the matter is there is one pure heavenly light. And this is the message that we have. God is the light. God is the one that illuminates. He is the only one. And there is none beside Him. He is the only one who could ever pierce the darkness that this world lives in right now. Look with me at verse 5 again. It says, This is the message we have, we've heard from Him and declare to you that God is light. Now, notice something here. In the Greek, it doesn't say that God is the light. If it says that God is the light, that would move him into an abstraction. Instead, it says without a definite article, God is light. And what that means literally is that as to his essence, to his being, as a portion of his nature, he is light. He illuminates. 
as to his nature and his very character, he lights everything. Personally and glorifyingly, he is diffusive in radiance. Now, I'll tell you what that means. Look with me over at Isaiah chapter 6. Keep your finger here and look at Isaiah 6. Beginning in verse 1, we read these very beautiful words about our great God. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each had six wings, With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. His personally, who he is as a person, is out of him radiates and emanates this amazing glory and glorious nature. It has been said by theologians, and it is true, I believe, that God dwells in this unapproachable light. Now, His light and truth is that He alone is the origin of all truth. You know, we use the term light metaphysically sometimes, don't we? We say that uh, sometimes we're enlightened by something that we've read. Maybe a comic book or, you know, the newspaper. I don't know exactly what you've been reading lately. But I know that as you look at the Lord, He not only brings this effusive light from His being, His glory, but God personally in truth brings light and brings illumination to the mind of mankind. In reality, intellectually, morally, God is pure and holy. God is a light that shines brighter than every moral standard that has ever been erected in humanity. There will never be, and I, and I, I put this up to anyone, there will never be any religion, there will never be any God, God with a little g, by the way, that is able to ever match the moral clarity, purity, and the holiness that is possessed by our God. He dwells in unapproachable perfection and light. Now, God is also something else. God also is light in that He stands as a beautiful tower in the distance. A beautiful lighthouse on the shore shining out to a lost sea of humanity that searches for God in utter darkness. Keep your finger here in 1 John and look at me with the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1, let's look at verse 3. He says, All things were made through Him, speaking of Jesus, and without Him was made, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, or literally overcome it, or overtake it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all through him might be saved. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. And in verse 9 he says, That was the true light, 
which gives light unto every man coming into the world. He was the light. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. And he came to his own and his own did not receive him. That is the case when Jesus Christ came into the world. A world covered in darkness, but at the same time, you have this loving, beautiful God reaching into this dark realm of humanity with a bright, shining light. Jesus is that light that leads humanity out of the darkness. All right, look with me at verse 6 in 1 John chapter 1. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, we walk in darkness and lie and do not practice the truth. Walking in darkness is simply this. It is separation from God. Walking around in darkness, I might add, is very dangerous. In fact, it's very dangerous at my house because we have a house. It's a nice place. Um, not that big for six people, but I'm not complaining. Uh, anyway, I was supposed to be kind of a joke. It kind of fell dead. Anyway, <laughs> in the house, the children have these little hidden minds. Now, kids don't think that you don't have power when it comes to your parents. Yes, they may have the authority. Yes, they may be able to uh, exact discipline on you and give you, uh, take away your allowance or, or ground you or keep you in the house. But one thing that you have is you can always leave a little toy in the hallway in the middle of the night. So all you need to do is just sort of leave it out in the hallway on the way to the bathroom, just put it there on your way to bed, and your dad will step out later at night, and you'll hear a woeful scream like a, through the middle of the night. How many of you have ever experienced that? Walking in the darkness is very dangerous. In fact, I heard a story of a young boy who had lived in the second story of his house, and his dad said, Son, it's time to go to bed. And the son realized that the light switch was at the top of the stairs. It was very dark. And he was at that age where it was kind of scary at nighttime. And he stood there at the bottom of the stairs for a while. And his dad said, well, what's the matter? Go on up there, son. God's up there. There's nothing to worry about. And so the dad left the room and the son began to very carefully begin to walk up the stairs. And he said, Lord, if you're up there, don't make any sudden moves. It'll scare me to death. The darkness is somewhat frightening at times. Now let's look at this verse a little closer. You're going to see this phrase throughout the rest of this chapter, and it's very important. It says right here, if we say, you know, what we say reflects our hearts. And John is going to get very real with you and me right now. He's not going to pull any punches. So I think we need to give him and the Holy Spirit uh, plenty of permission to work in our lives because he's not going to mince words. This gets very real very quick. He says, if you say that, say what? You say that we have fellowship with him. The him here is speaking of Jesus and fellowship that is spoken of here simply means this 
relationship, communion, and the relationship that you would say that you have with a close friend. Any of you have a close friend, you know that that person is someone that you enjoy, you know them intimately, and that is the type of relationship he's speaking of here. So he says, if you say that I am a close friend and have a close relationship with Jesus and walk in darkness, he says, we lie and do not practice the truth. The word that is used there for walk is peripateo. And it simply means this. It means the way that you carry yourself about throughout your daily life. It doesn't mean just how you walk. There's not a real godly, holy walk out there. He's speaking more directly to the fact that how do you live your life? He says, if you say you know Jesus and you're a good friend of him and you have a good relationship with him, yet you live your life as if you walking and are walking about in darkness. That means that you're living a life that shows that you are in separation from God, not really understanding who he is, not walking in the light of his existence. He says, first of all, we lie. And second of all, we do not practice the truth. Now, it doesn't mean that we do not exactly know the truth, but there's a difference between knowing the truth and practicing the truth. Uh, I have a good example of people practicing things at our house. We have some budding musicians, and I will put the emphasis on budding. We have one that is now taking violin, sort of an interesting-sounding instrument in the first couple of years of a young violinist's life. And we have, next door to the violinist, we have the drummer. And... Uh, Practice is something that they do on a daily basis because, you know, as parents, you want to encourage that. But there's a difference between knowing and actually practicing. John 3, the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 19 says this. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Truth here, point here, darkness is practicing evil apart from God. So let's get real. If you say you know God and you say you're a friend of His and you have a relationship with Him, if you're living a life that is practicing evil, if you're living a life that every time the light is turned on or any type of conviction or anything coming from Scripture that is directly addressed to your sin life and you scatter like the cockroach for under the fridge, He says, it's not true. One of the things that I love and cherish about this life as a Christian is the fact that God doesn't pull any punches with us. We don't have to pretend. It's not some high and lofty religion that you have to pretend and go and say certain things. It's straight to the point. It's right where we live. And you know what that's really good about that? You know what's healthy about that? 
The healthy aspect of that is it keeps you and I from becoming religious hypocrites. It keeps us from becoming people that we can't stand. It keeps us from thinking more highly of ourselves, but it constantly brings us back to center and says, you really want to know the truth? Here's the truth. Here's the real truth about our state and humanity. Look with me at verse 7 of First John. We leave walking in the darkness to walking in the light. Verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Here's that word again, walk. It's the same word that we mentioned before. It talks about the way that you live, how you live your life. So he says, if you are currently living, walking about this world, ordering your plan of lifestyle in the light, even as he is the light. And here's the condition. You have to be in the same light that Jesus is in, which is he himself. Notice what he says. If this is taking place, if this condition is being met, he says, we have fellowship, koinonian, with one another. And it tells us also that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. Doesn't that sound good? He said, but don't you see that the, the, how the light and the darkness are juxtaposed here? One says, if you say that you have fellowship, but you're walking in darkness, you lie and the truth's not in you. The next says, if you walk in the truth and be in the light, even as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him and one another. And the blood of Jesus is constantly cleansing us, constantly clearing us. You know, one of the things that God asks of us is that we simply be true. Truth before God is very, very important. You know, guys, God has never condemned anyone for being a rank, ugly, gross sinner. And so no one will come before God a better sinner than the other sinner. Well, at least, Lord, you know, I wasn't this kind of, I wasn't at least like this kind of sinner. This guy over here, he's really terrible. Pick on him. At least I go to church before I sin. So there's always a balance. And I feel really guilty about it, you know. Not like this guy over here. Hey, that's not the case at all. God requires truth in the inward being. Truth from every one of us. I love the scene that we have in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. You have a woman caught in adultery. She's blown it. And you have religious leaders who have brought her before the others and they're getting ready to throw a stone and to kill her because she sinned. She was caught in the very act. She blew it. And Jesus very simply dismisses each one of them by saying, the one of you who is without sin, that is completely without any sin of all, you pick up a stone and you throw it at her first. And soon, every one of them left. And listen to the words that he says on the heels of this event. In verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. 
That's the response of Jesus to a lost and hurting world. He shines a light on a lost sinner who has committed adultery, but he also shines a light on a very pretentious, religious, hypocritical world and levels everyone out. It is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is God, and his word about himself is enough. All right, look with me at verse 8 of the of first john chapter one we see the conditions of the light light is very demanding it demands that we live in the bright radiance of truth there is no deception here in fact i want to say in the next three verses verse eight nine and ten there are three doors Um, how many of you older folks have seen the show let's make a deal How many of you remember that show? Let's make a deal. You have everybody dressing up weird and you have Monty Hall coming out and he says, well, behind door number one, will it be door number two or will it be door number three? Well, in this, we have three doors to look at. The first door is self-deception. The second door is forgiveness of sin. And the third door is making God out to be a liar. Look at verse eight. He says, and this is the first door. If we say that we have no sin, here's what's behind door number one. If this is what we're going to say about ourselves, that we have no sin, this is what he says is behind the door. He says, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's what's behind door number one. You know, deception and self-deception is very easy and it's very prominent, isn't it? In fact... Some of us are very good at it in the morning when you look out at your mirror right before you leave the house. I don't know about you, but I have words of affirmation that I constantly have to say, like, it's not that bad, really. (laughs) Most of your friends love you. And, and, you know, if you stand and you don't breathe all the way in, you're still a pretty buff looking kind of guy. Self-deception is so easy. And it's easy to be deceived in our own mind. In fact, I heard a story of a, of a lady who had went to a particular butcher for years and they had had a new hire. It was a young man who was a medical student. And um, he came out and he served all throughout the summer. And, and so one day she had to go in for an operation. And she looked up and she remembered that, you know, the butchers, they wear those nice, you know, white outfits and they usually have some blood on them and she looked up and she saw a familiar face wheeling her down to the operating room and then to her horror she realized and she began to scream help get me out of here it's my butcher okay many of you don't go to the butcher anymore you got to get the joke okay you have a butcher who deals with meat who uses big meat cleavers, and then all of a sudden the lady's going to a hospital and she sees her butcher. Okay, now you get it. Listen, I don't have time to explain all of these jokes. You're just going to have to. It's my first week for crying out loud. Door number one. It could get worse. Now, door number one is deception. 
Self-deception. Second door is a lot better. Notice what is on the front, front of this door in verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, and here's what's behind it, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My friends, honesty counts in the kingdom of God. Honesty counts in the kingdom of God. Confession, my friends, is very healthy for the believer. In fact, if you continually go around and pretend that you don't have any sins, you know the only person that you're kidding is yourself. It's okay to admit what everybody already knows. You know, sometimes you'll confess a sin or confess a thought to a best friend and you'll expect them to be in shock and they kind of go, I know. I've seen that for years. And I'm going to give you an example here. It's only because it's fresh on my mind. And uh, I hope I don't gross any of you out. But in the toddler years with our kids, it was right at that point where they're almost potty trained and they have the little training pants on. And um, they're becoming very pronounced in their ability to go to the bathroom. Well... It always appears that when you're in a room together and the little toddler walks up and there's this certain smell. And this is what you ask the toddler. Do you need your diaper changed? Well, well, no. Well, have you gone to the bathroom? No, no, no. I'm fine. Now, what they're saying is, is I don't want to take the time to stop. I want to continue playing and running around. But if you are unwilling to confess your sin, sometimes... It's like standing in a room like the toddler and you're the only one denying what's actually been going on. (laughs) It's okay to admit what everybody else already knows, especially God. Now, here's the good thing. It says that he's faithful if we confess our sins and just. He is faithful and just. That means he is Perfect, and He has the right to forgive us of our sins and wash us and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. God makes that deal with humanity. This is the Christians and this is the non-believers bar of soap, as it were. The sins that are spoken of here speak of a sin that occurs One at a time. It's not speaking about a full life of sin. It's speaking about individual sins. And for the believer, it's really healthy to to know that you're walking in the light. You're living in the truth. But the truth still is that you and I sin from day to day. And if we confess them to him, he is very faithful to wash you and to cleanse you and to send you back on your way out into the world. Because he has made provision for that because he knows that you need it. Now, door number three. Door number three is something you don't want to choose. Look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, here's what's behind that door. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now there's an old maxim here and I'd like to tell you because it's really important. 
You might want to write this down. Don't tell a lie if you're standing in front of God. You want me to write that down again? Don't tell a lie if you're standing in front of God. Another good thing to note here is never call God a liar. Because in the end, you're the one that's going to be found a liar. I love what the scripture says. Let every man, every man be found a liar and God be true. He says, do you see the folly of what you're doing here? Once a time, there was a very rough crowd that Abraham Lincoln was speaking to. And he couldn't get through a speech without some type of negative response. It just constantly was hurled at him. And so in order to sort of bring peace here or to, to win over his crowd, he stopped for a minute and he asked one of the dissenters. He said, how many legs are there on a cow? And the person yelled back, four. And he said, well, good. We agree on one thing. And secondly, he said, well, what if we were to say that the tail is also a leg? How many legs would the cow have? And the person yelled back, five. And this is what Lincoln said. He said, now that's where you're wrong, Lincoln said. Calling a cow's tail a leg doesn't make it a leg. And to say that we are sinless doesn't. Make us sinless. It is far from the truth. Better to live in healthy openness before God, ready to confess, ready to be cleansed, ready to be free, to move about and do whatever you need to do. All right. Look with me at chapter 2, and we'll wrap this up. We see God's provision of light. Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 are one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. And I have learned them, memorized them, taken them into myself because for me, they have not only become a soft pillow to lay my head on at night for a weary servant of the Lord, but they for me, as a man who knows the sin in this world, knows what I've been forgiven of. I love to cling on them and remember and be reminded of the great truths of these passages. And I hope that tonight they will become a part of your arsenal against the devil. He says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. He says with such tender, beautiful words, he calls them my little children. I don't think I love anybody more in this world than my kids. Warts and all, all their problems, all their mistakes. It doesn't seem like for one second that they can do anything that will cause me at any moment in any time to love them any less than I do. In fact, all the things that they do cause me to want to love them more and to pour out more affection on them. He writes to this new group of believers in the spirit of the Lord and listen to these words, little children. He says, I write these things to you so that you won't sin. But in the same breath, he says, and when you do sin, he understands the fact that, look, 
We're not to live a life that is just throwing care and caution to the wind and saying, look, Jesus has forgiven me, so whoopee, let's have fun. I know that I'm going to be forgiven tonight. As long as I make it to prayer time before my bed, before I go to sleep, I'll be forgiven of everything that I've done, so let's have a party. Well, that's not the case. He's not advocating sin. He says, I don't want you to sin. Let's stay away from it. These are the works of darkness. However, he says, but if anyone sins, we have an advocate. The word that is used there is a very beautiful Greek word, parakletos. And it means one who is alongside. And it gives the picture of a champion. The one who comes alongside is that that big guy who helps you out with the bullies. I don't know about you. When I was a kid, I was, man, a skinny little kid with a big mouth and a bad attitude. And it just seemed like everybody who was bigger than me loved to pick on me. And I just loved to pick a fight with them. Never able to win. I I should go back now. I probably could win a few of those fights. But I was unable to. It was just, but it was a part of me. And I loved it when I had a champion, a buddy who came alongside who would like, Hey, leave him alone. You like picking on little kids? Ah, a paraclete. (laughs) Uh, One, a champion who's called alongside. You know, and I think of my best friends in great time of need. I have had so many phone calls, so many emails from friends all over the world who've called me in this last month. And I think, oh, what strength. What ability that I have knowing that I have friends who are praying for me. But there's even a greater friend. There is even greater advocate. It is one Jesus Christ with the Father. He stands as one alongside of you and me. An advocate. Legal counsel in the court of heaven. That simply says this. I know he's messed up. But he's covered by my blood. I died on the cross For that man right there. For that woman right there. And because of that, I stand as his champion. Her champion. And the gates of hell will have no effect on this child of God. Because I am the paraclete. I am the advocate for the believer. And my friends, you think about the unlimited power and ability and love that is possessed by Jesus Christ. And we are told right here in this passage of Scripture is that He is the one with us. If God is with us, who can be against us? That puts us in real perspective, doesn't it? Okay, notice verse 2 and we'll wrap this up. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. The Greek word there for sins is hilasmas. And it speaks about the appropriate payment due. It came from the pagan world that it was used for sacrifices that would appease certain gods or certain gods of wrath. But as it was taken over into the Christian world, it became known as the exact appropriate payment for the sins of humanity. That Jesus Christ is the exact, perfect, pure payment for all of our sins. He is the propitiation and God's wrath on humanity. God's wrath on the believer is appeased by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
He died not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. There's a lot of theological debate about this, but I'll sum it up with the words of Luther. He said, It is a patent fact that thou art a part of the whole world, speaking to us, so that thine heart cannot deceive itself and think, The Lord died for Peter. The Lord died for Paul, but not for me. He died for the whole world. I'll close with this little story. There's a story of a certain monk back in the medieval days who had announced the previous Sunday that he was going to preach on the love of God. And so as the congregation showed up, it was late in the evening. The sunlight began to lessen as the sun went down and the light lessened coming through the windows. And as the light Begin, or the darkness began to overtake the room completely. The monk took a candle and lit it. And with one candle, he walked up to a large crucifix and he pointed to the thorns on the head of Jesus. And he pointed to the hands that were pierced and the feet that were pierced and the side that was pierced. And after that, an unbroken calm, just a hush, went over the group of people. And he blew out the candle and left. Because that was the real message of God's love. Jesus died for us. Real love. Real light for a dark place. I pray that this week, as we go throughout our day, that these words would take root in your mind and you'd realize that we are separate from this world. We're no longer walking in darkness. But not only are we no longer walking in darkness, we become light bearers of the truth of Jesus and what He has done. And just like that monk, we can take the little light, like we used to sing when I was a kid, this little light of mine, and we shine it and we point to all that Jesus has done, drawing many to Jesus himself. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.